Thanks for listening to the Cornerstone Chapel Middle School Podcast. Let's head into the service for this week's message. So every three years we go through the entire Bible here in our middle school youth group. And uh, recently, if you're new with us, we've been learning about the history of the Israelite people. Everybody say Israelites. Israelites. Awesome. And they live in the nation of Israel. And we actually have a map for you guys. I want to show you guys of where Israel is and where the Israelites live. So what we're going to do is, before, you, before I get, turn to the map here, this is our laser pointer. I mean, if you're brand new to the youth group, you might not know this. But when you see the laser pointer, and when I shine it on the screen, you have two reactions. The first one is you need to say, ooh. Okay, so I shine it on the screen, and you go, very good. The second time I shine it on the screen, you're going to go, ah. For example, there it is. Then you're going to go back to the ooze the third time you see it. And then back. Very good, very good. So, so this is a map of the world. Or part of it, okay? And uh, right here in red, right in the middle, you're going to see Israel right there. Very good. You have a beautiful chorus. That's lovely. So right there in the Middle East, right next to the Mediterranean Sea, you're going to see the nation of Israel. So let's zoom in here, Leslie. So this is the ancient uh, setup of the nation of Israel with the 12 different tribes. Let me get up. So here you see the Mediterranean Sea. And then you see all the tribes right here. High school's going to be like, what are they doing? Like, tribal, hoo-ha, hoo-ha. Shark bait, hoo-ha. Like, you know, a little Finding Nemo reference there. So here you see the nation of Israel, the 12 different breakups that they have, the, the tribes that make up this nation of Israel. And in 1 Samuel, we're learning about their, uh, their history and what's going on at the time. We learned about Samuel last week. And I want you guys to understand what's happening right now in Israel's history. God has called the nation of Israel, these people, to be a special people, to be a set-apart people, to be a different people from anyone in the world. And God has said through these people, he's going to bless the world through one day bringing Jesus through this line of people. So we've been learning the history of these people. Right now in the history of the nation of Israel, we've been noticing a pattern. And the pattern is this. The nation will follow after God because God gave them a set of laws and said, listen, I don't want you to worship other false gods. I want you to follow the commands that I've given you. And they start off and they'll follow his commands, but then they'll begin to drift away, and then they'll follow the false gods of nations that were around them, and then they won't obey the laws that they were given by God, and they fall into sin. Once they fall into sin, usually another nation comes and attacks them, and then they cry out to God, say, God, please help us, save us, and then God sends them someone as a savior, as a judge, to help them and to save them out of that situation that they're in. So in this story, or where we are in the passage, Israel is in a very bad spot. They have been worshiping other gods, false gods that aren't real, of other nations that were around them. They've been disobeying the laws that God has given them to follow, and they've been following after whatever they wanted to do. And then on top of all that, their leaders, the sons of Eli, remember we talked about Eli last week, the priest? Eli's sons, who are now the leaders of Israel, they are struggling because they are now accepting bribes, they're being dishonest, and they're not following after what God has called them to do. 
So we see these issues taking place here in Israel's history. And because of this, they are then attacked or they have a judgment that comes in the form of the Philistines. Everybody say the Philistines. Now, you'll notice a famous Philistine is Goliath. And we're going to be learning about the Philistines from quite some time. But just so you guys know, they were a very militarily advanced people. They had chain mail. They had iron that was developed. And they had chariots putting them at an advantage above the Israelites in warfare. So these were really, really sophisticated warriors. And they were landed or located, let's see if you remember, right along the edge coast here. I don't remember if we're on Uba, but we'll go with that. So they're located right there. And the problem was they began to harass and attack the Israelites. They kept raiding their, their villages and taking uh, their crops away. And they kept attacking them. And it got so bad that the Israelites all gathered to fight them in a battle led by the sons of Eli who were corrupt and did not follow God. And then the Philistines gathered and they were going to go to battle as well. And they, they kind of paired up in these two large armies next to each other. And they had this mighty battle. Or I shouldn't say it was mighty because the Israelites got destroyed. Their entire army got beaten. The sons of Eli were killed. And the entire army was eradicated almost and fled to their homes or were killed. The news was so bad that when Eli, the old priest we learned about last week, when he heard the news that his sons died and that the army was destroyed, he fainted and fell over and broke his neck when he fell. I was wondering who would laugh at that. It's kind of funny, actually, a little bit. I mean, he was actually, it says he fell back in his chair, so I don't know if he's leaning back like, hey, how'd the battle go? We lost. Oh, and he falls back and then breaks his neck and dies. Terrible story. Anyway. So now the nation is left with no leadership. Eli's dead and his sons are dead. The army has been destroyed. And for 20 years, the Philistines will conquer and rule over the Israelites. They'll come and destroy their their towns. They'll come and take their crops. And they're under the subjection of the Philistines. Understand how bad this is. Okay, Let me put this in perspective, okay? Let's just pretend, and this is really hard to pretend, but let's just pretend. Let's pretend Canada invades the United States, destroys our military, yeah, right, destroys our military, okay, and uh, destroys our entire government, wipes everybody out, or puts them in jail, and then says, don't you know, you're now our slaves, eh? And takes over America. It's never going to happen, no way. But let's just pretend that happens, and for 20 years, We have Mounties riding around like, hey, don't you know, get back in your homes or we're going to kill you. Like, you know, like these terrible Canadian overlords. Picture this for 20 years. They're so polite, but it's all been an act. They're coming to get us. Now, the Philistines have been ruling over for 20 years and oppressing the Israelites. And after 20 years of hardship and trials, a leader finally rises up. Can anyone raise their hand and guess who that leader is after last week's message. Anybody? Yeah? God? Well, he does, but he raises up someone in particular. Yeah? Samuel. Samuel, Samuel is ro- risen up to be a leader. And it's so cool because remember last week we talked. And last week we, we found this young boy, maybe 12 or younger, who God called to one day be a leader over the entire nation. And after 20 years of growing him and maturing him, he was finally ready for what God had called him to do. It wasn't that he was immediately ready as soon as God called him, but God grew him into what God was calling him to do. And after 20 years, he's about in his 30s, he finally gets to a position where he calls the Israelites to action and he leads them. It says in chapter 7, you don't have to turn there, but I'll just read it. He addresses the people and he says, If you are returning to God with all of your hearts, then rid yourselves of foreign gods and commit yourselves to the Lord and serve him only, and he will deliver you out of the hands of the Philistines. So Samuel rises up to the people and says, listen, everybody, 
If you repent of your sins, if you ask God to forgive you of your sins, then he can save you. And he can save you out of the hands of the Philistines and he will deliver you. So all the Israelites gather around Samuel in a single location and they begin to pray and they begin to worship and they begin to sacrifice to God saying, God, we need your help. God, we have sinned, we're sorry. And it's interesting, when the Israelites all gather around Samuel, at that same time, the Philistines find out, wait, all the Israelites are gathering. This must be because they're ready to fight. So the Philistines get their entire army and they, they come out and they camp close to the Israelites and the Israelites begin to lose their minds like, oh my goodness, we were just coming here to pray and now this huge army's here, we're going to get slaughtered. And Samuel says, listen, pray. And so they all continue to pray and seek God's face. And at that time, while they're praying, a mighty thunderous noise, it says, awakens over the Philistine camp. The Philistines get a little nervous and like shake it like, whoa, what's going on? Why is there thunder but no clouds or anything? And then it says that the Israelites were encouraged by God and emboldened by God and led by Samuel over 20 years since he was called by God. Led by Samuel, they charge into battle, destroy the Philistine army, and chase whatever's left of the survivors over 10 miles. How beast, that just gets me like, oh, let's go. Let's get big. Football season. No, sorry, I'm getting distracted. But that gets me excited to hear Samuel leading this army, destroying their oppressors, and freeing them from the evil Canadians. I mean, Philistines. Freeing them from the Philistines after 20 years of slavery. Isn't it cool how God brought this little boy Samuel he called up to this mighty role and matured him and made him ready to bring his entire nation to repentance and then bring them to freedom. What an incredible story. Well, Samuel will continue to be the leader over Israel for many years until he gets old. And then in chapter 8, which is what I want you guys to read with me now, chapter 8, something happens in Samuel's old age. The Philistines have been defeated, and every time they attack, Samuel is able to repel them and fight them back. But then we come here to chapter 8, verse 1. So read with me the first five verses. It says this, When Samuel grew old, he appointed his sons as judges over for Israel. The name of his first one was Joel, and the name of his second was Abijah. And they served at Bashirba, uh, but his sons did not walk in his ways. They turned aside after dishonest gain and accepted bribes and perverted justice. So, so all the elders of Israel gathered together and said to Samuel at Ramah, they said to him, you are old. This is brutal. You are old, and your sons do not walk in your ways. Now appoint a king to lead us, such as the other nations have. So let me just make sure you guys understand what's going on here. The Israelites come to uh, they come to um, they come to Samuel, and they say, "Listen, bro. Okay, I'm going to put this delicately. You're old. Okay, you are ancient. Okay, we're wondering." What was Adam and Eve like? Because you probably were friends with them, okay? Your social security number is one because you were the first person on the roll. Dude, you were ancient, okay? Like, ancient. And listen, bro, um, your, uh, your sons, they're terrible. I mean, they are absolute losers. Like, they are accepting bribes. They're mean to people. They're not honest. They are absolutely terrible. We don't want them to be our future leaders, and you appointed them as leaders. So far, what the Israelites have said is all true. Samuel is old. Valid point. Okay, it's old. And also his sons are terrible leaders. So they haven't done anything wrong by saying, listen, Samuel, we don't want these guys to lead us. It's actually a good thing they're doing. But they're going to take a step here where they go a little bit too far. 
The next thing they say is, Samuel, we want a king to be our leader. We, we don't want this judge system. We want a king to be our leader. And here's where they take the step too far. They say, we want a king because the reason they want a king, listen to this. They says, now appoint a king to lead us such as all the other nations have. Such as all the other nations have. Listen to that. Have a king. We want a king because everybody else, all the other nations have a king. That's the reason that we want a king. Do you hear what they're saying? You see, at that time around them, you have the Moabites, the Amorites, the, um, I was about to say Israelites, but they are the Israelites. You have the Egyptians, you have the Philistines, all these other people groups, they all have a king as their leader. They have a king who is in charge of them as their leader. And the Israelites are looking around at all these other nations and they're saying, well, they have a king, they have a king, they have a king. We don't have a king. Man, what are we missing here? And they're looking at the other nations and saying, we should be more like that. This has gotten them in trouble in the past when they look at other nations and see that they worship other gods. And they say, well, we kind of want to worship that God. And we kind of want to worship that God. And they see the way the other nations live and they kind of go, well, we kind of want to live that way and not live the way that God's called us to live. And they're looking at the nations around them and basing their behavior, basing what they want based on what everyone around them is doing. They're saying, I want to be like them. I want to be like them. And what they're doing is they're saying, look, we know that God is supposed to be our king. We know that the system that he set up is that he is our king. And uh, if we ever get in trouble, he rises to judge. But we, we don't like his system anymore. We don't like his way. And we want to be like what the other nations are, not like God wants us to be. You see what's dangerous about this? They're saying, I want to be like everyone around me. That's a dangerous thing to think. And sometimes we go to crazy extremes because we want to be like the people around us. When I was a kid, um, everybody, there, there's, it's pretty popular now, but there were these little scooters called Razor scooters. And they still have them. You guys have Razor scooters, right? You know, like little aluminum scooters. They're like really cheap. And everybody in my neighborhood when I was in middle school, everybody had these stupid scooters. And they're like, yo, dude, Razor scooters. I'm like, dude, my bike goes faster. <laughs> it's not a Razor, though. Razor scooters. They were like all about it, okay? And so they'd be like, yo, dude, want to see a cool trick? And it's like, I'm like, okay, cool. All right, check this out. Ready? Ready? Yeah. What'd you think? And I'd be like, dude, that is absolutely, without a doubt, the coolest thing ever. You got off the ground like that much. Yeah, you know, razors. <laughs> yeah. They were like all about these stupid scooters, okay? They weren't practical, they were stupid. I, you know, every time you go to the rec center, everybody would be like ghosting down on the little razors and like shaking everywhere. And I'd be on my bike and I'd be like blowing past them. But I still thought, man, they're so cool. Everybody's got razor scooters. I can't even see them anymore. And, you know, every once in a while one of your friends would fall and like scrape up his entire arm. But it was just crazy. Everybody had these razor scooters. And I'm like, man, everybody's got the scooters. I want to be like everybody else. I want a razor scooter. So what do you do? You go to your parents. And you're like, hey, mom. Everybody's got a Razor scooter. Like, everybody's got one. I want to be like everybody else. Can we get a Razor scooter? And she does the typical mom answer whenever you ask for anything. Or No, no, she, better than that. She goes, well, if everyone has one, if everyone jumped off a cliff, would you jump off a cliff? And so I jump into debate mode, and I go, mother, with your scenario that you're giving me, if everyone jumped off a cliff, that means you jumped off a cliff. Why did you jump off a cliff, mom? Okay? Also, if everybody jumped off a cliff, you jump. Also, mother... Why did everyone jump off a cliff? Is the T-Rex chasing them? They are jumping off the cliff to get away from the T-Rex? Is there a fire on the island and they need to jump off the cliff to get into the water for safety? Also, Mother, did you ever consider this? Um, 
why the jumping off a cliff? Like, have you ever considered, Mom, maybe it's fun. Maybe it's only one story high, and it's like, woo, this is fun, and there's no rocks at the bottom. You ever consider that, Mom? And she's like, oh, how did I raise you this way? This is terrible. Shaking her head. And she goes, no, you can't have a razor. But I had hope. Because I had a friend, and his name was Santa. That's right, Santa. And I'm like, yo, home dog, you got to hook me up, dude, at the mall. And he's like, I got you. All right, he wasn't that cool. But he said something along those lines. Okay, I got you. And so, sure enough, Christmas rolls around. I come down the stairs. There's three Razor scooters, one for me and one for two for my brothers. And it was awesome. And I'm like, yeah, what up? Got my Razor scooter. And so, you know, I, I went to my friend Billy's house one day. And I'm like, hey, dude, what's up? And like did like a turn, but it probably wasn't that cool. It was probably more like, Ugh. and I turned. I'm like, yeah, dude, got a Razor scooter. And he's like, why are you laughing? Why are you laughing at me, dude? <laughs> are you choking or laughing? And he's like, bro, dude, read it. And I read, like, the little sticker on the bottom. And he goes, it's not a razor, bro. Your mom bought the generic brand. I'm like, well, it's from Santa. Maybe his elves don't make razors. And he's like, no, dude, bro, okay, you bought the wrong kind. And it wasn't a razor scooter. And so from then on, all my friends would be like, you don't have a razor, dude? What is this generic brand? Where'd you get this at Costco? Santa's workshop. And I was like, you know, ashamed. And everyone around me was like, dude, you, you don't have a razor. And I was embarrassed because I wasn't like everybody else. Just because I didn't have a sticker on my stupid scooter that matched theirs. I felt left out. And I've eventually gotten over it, okay? I've gotten through it. I still don't have a razor scooter. But whatever, I've gotten over it, okay? I don't need a razor scooter. I need a razor scooter. Anyway, I wanted to be like everybody else. So I wanted a scooter like everybody else. I wanted to have the same sticker as everybody else because I wanted to be like everyone else. And do you ever feel that sometimes? Like you just, you see everybody else in the way that they're existing or being. And I say everybody and I'm exaggerating. I say most people. And do you ever say, I want to be like them. Maybe everybody's seen a movie. Everybody's seen a movie and they're all talking about it. You're like, man, I want to see the same movie so that I can relate with them. I can talk to them. I won't be different. I can get what they're talking about. And you're like, man, i got to see Jurassic World and it's out of theaters. This is terrible. And you feel left out because everybody's talking about it. Or maybe everybody, everybody. And I say everybody, and again, you're exaggerating in your mind. But like, man, everybody, dude, everybody has sweet Nikes, and every week they have a brand new pair of Nikes, and they're spotless, and you can eat off of them. I don't know why I say that, because you put food on your shoe and eat off it. makes no sense. But anyway, everybody's got a brand new pair of Nikes, and I don't. I want to be like everybody else. Or, ladies, maybe you're like, man, every day, Brittany and Barbara and Susan all have brand new highlights, and they look gorgeous, and I want highlights. I want Highlights. It's something for your hair boys where you dye it colors. Don't worry about it. Anyway, I want new highlights. I want brand new pair of shoes. I want 80 shoes like everybody else. And you want to be like everyone else, the way they look even, or the way that they dress, maybe even the way they talk. Maybe other people talk in a certain way or make certain jokes or use certain words that maybe aren't appropriate. And you hear that and you're like, man, I want to talk like everybody else talks. I want to, to sound the same that they sound. Because you don't want to stand out. Because if you stand out, people might mock you. You're a target and people might target your difference. And you don't feel included if you stand out. We try and be like those that are around us sometimes. Like even the world around us. And we're striving towards that example. Striving to be like them. To, to be included. To fit in. And that's exactly what Israel was doing. They were worshiping other gods of other nations. 
They were following the ways of other nations rather than following the ways of God. And they were now asking, we want a king. Not because we think it'd even be a good idea. Not because we want a king because we want a king. The heart of the matter was they want to be like the other nations. They want to be like everybody else. They don't want to stand out or be different. And here's the tragedy of that. That was the exact opposite of what God wanted. God actually wanted them to be different. Listen to this. Deuteronomy chapter 7, verse 6 says this. For you, and this is God speaking to his nation, speaking to the Israelites. He says, for you are a people holy to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you, chosen you out of all the people on the face of the earth to be his people in his treasured possession. In other words, God says, Israel, I don't want you to be like all the other nations. In fact, I want you to be different from all the other nations. I want you to have laws that are different from all the other nations. I want you to worship a God that is different than all the false gods. Worship the one true God. I want you to be unique and special and stand out in this world. And yet over here is Israel, and they're saying, we want to be just like the rest of the world. And it's the opposite of what God's calling them to. Guys, check this out. God calls us as Christians. He calls us to be different. To be different than the world. To not be like the world, but actually to stand out. Let me read this to you. Romans chapter 12, verse 2 says, Do not conform or do not become to the pattern of the world, but be transformed by a renewing of your mind. In other words, look, don't become like everybody that's around you. Don't become like the world around you. In fact, renew your mind and focus and be transformed by God. Become like what he has called you to be, not like the world that is around you. It goes even further, and we see in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 15, the writer says that we are to shine like stars in the universe, meaning we as Christians should not be blended in with the world. We should actually stand out and shine and be radiant and be different. Too many times, far too many times, Christians put on camouflage. And you're like, wait, what? Christians put on camouflage? Christians put on camouflage, okay? They, they try and blend in with the world, and they say, look, I'm just like all you guys. I watch the same movies as you guys do. Just because I'm a Christian doesn't mean I'm any different. See, I talk the same way that you guys do. I wear the same clothes that you guys do. I, I go to the same parties you guys do. I'm not any different from you guys. I, I think the same way. I talk. I'm the same as you. And we try and blend into the world and look the same as everyone else. And God's saying, no, that's not what I've called you to do. What I want you to do is I want you to shine. I want you to be different. I don't want you to blend in with the world. I want you to stand out from the crowd and say, hey, this is the way that I live. This is the way that I act. This is the way that I talk. And it's in line with what God has called me to. And I don't care what the world is doing. I'm going to be like God has called me to be. You want to know one of the most different people that ever walked this planet? I would actually say the most different. It was Jesus. God came to earth as a man named Jesus and And Jesus was different. He was bizarre. The things that he said, the way that he spoke, the people that he talked to were crazy to others. And they would even say when Jesus spoke, they'd say, what is the way that he talks? He talks with authority and he talks in such mysterious ways. What is this that he talks? And it's because Jesus wasn't looking at saying, how does the world talk? How do other people talk? How should I talk? He was saying, no, no, no. I'm going to speak the words of truth that God speaks and talk the way that he would have me talk. 
And as he did that, he separated himself from the world and was different. He loved in a way where he loved the people that the world rejected. He loved the lepers who were sick and almost had a death sentence because of their disease. And he loved the people who the world outcasted or who were liars or cheaters. He loved the people in this world who the world did not love. And because of the way that he loved even, he was shown as different from the world. Christian means Christ follower. And if we call ourselves a Christian, you should be different than the world. Let me ask you this challenge, the one that's been standing behind me for a while. Are you different than the world? Look at me, listen to this. Are you different than the world? As you walk the halls of your schools and as you're on the sports teams that you're on and as you're at the different parties that you go to, are you different, distinctly unique, separated almost in a way? In the way that you act, the way that you live, the way that you walk, are you different than somebody who isn't a Christian? Are you? Do you talk the same way? Do you do the same things? Do you make the same jokes? Are you unique in any way? Guys, we as Christians, people should look at us and they should be like, man, there's just there's something weird about you. Are, you. are you like one of those church people? Like you one of those Jesus people? You should hear that and be like, yes, I am. Thank you so much. What? I said you're weird. You're like a church person. Yes, thank you. That's awesome. Dude, what are you talking about? Like you should be crazy to people. Think about this. Think about how crazy this is. The Bible tells you to love your enemies, okay? That's not what the world usually does, okay? So if a bully's mean to you and shoves you in a locker and be like, hey, man, I forgive you, your friend should be like, what is wrong with you? That guy just shoved you in a locker. Dude, I forgive him, man. I, I, I really I want the best for that guy. Who are you? What is wrong with your mind? He just shoved you into a locker. Or your friend should be like, hey, man, dude, um, listen, uh, I... I forgot my lunch. Dude, how about you just take all of mine? All of your lunch? You want me to have all of your lunch? Yeah, dude, you just have it. I really want you to be blessed. Why would you do that? That makes no sense to me. You should be different from the world. They should be confused by the way that you live, by the way that you love, by the way that you speak and act and live and breathe because you are following the example of Jesus and not the world. Do not, I beg you, do not look at the way that the people around you are living. Unless, of course, they're Christian examples. But, but at, the, at the influence of the world that is around you. And what they tell you is true. And what they tell you is false. Do not seek to be like them. Be different. Now, again, just to clarify. What I'm not telling you to do is be like purposefully different and weird. I'm not telling you to go to school tomorrow, or I guess you don't go tomorrow, Tuesday, shave your head, wear like a monk's robe and be like, I am different. I'm not telling you to do that, okay? Like, what? And your mom's like, why did you shave your beautiful hair? Mom, you, I was told by the pastor to be different. I am definitely different right now. Why are you walking backwards everywhere? Mom, I'm different than the world, okay? Come on, I follow Jesus. Now what I'm telling you to do, okay? Now what I'm telling you to do. I'm telling you to follow the example that Jesus sets. Live as he called you to live. And just by doing that, you will be separated from the world and the way that you live and the way that you act. And let me tell you something also. And this is hard to say, but the world will not like you for being different. 
The world will not like you for being different. And as you stand out more, and as you are more of an example of who Jesus is, the world will point to you, and the world will say to you, stop. Why are you unique? Why do you act the way that you do? Why do you treat people the way that you do? Why? And they will question you, and they might even seek to shut you up, to push you down, and to conform you to the things that they believe and the things they believe to be true. Do not bend to that pressure. Do not bend to that conformity. Stay strong in your faith and say, I am going to live as Jesus has called me to live. And if that means that I'm different, if that means that I'm persecuted, so be it. Do not seek to be like the world. Seek to be like Jesus. Everybody say this real quick. Be different. One, two, three. Be different. Let's say it um, two more times. One, two, three. Now let's say it with a British accent, okay? One, two, three. Be different. It sounded the exact same, okay? It's more like a be different. That's not British. I say, old chop, be different. That's pretty good. Yeah, we're sorry. We apologize. All right, one more time. One, two, three. Be different. That was terrible. Anyway, let us pray. Let's pray, guys. Father God, we love you. And God, I ask today that we would seek to not live like the people around us live or not seek to be more like the world or live and act and breathe and speak the way they do but God we'd be different God we would seek to live as you have called us to live that we would not be conformed to this world but we would be transformed by a renewing of our mind by by following you Jesus and you would be our example we would try and live as you live each day. May your Holy Spirit give us the power to do that. May it transform us. May it grow us in maturity. And I pray, Lord, that these students here today would stand out in their schools, on their sports teams, in their choir, whatever it is, Lord, that they would be recognized as different. And people would say, what is it about you that's different? And they would be able to share that the difference is they have a relationship with Jesus Christ. Lord, I ask this. In the name of your son, Jesus, amen.